This summer we've been working through uh, just a series of messages called Building Blocks as we talk about the fundamental things that I think ought to be important to us here at Arise Baptist Church and want it to be more than just words on a banner on a wall. And uh, I've really enjoyed studying and presenting those messages to you this summer and I hope that they've been a help and a challenge to your heart as they've been to mine. I was thinking about this even in relation to our Vacation Bible School this past week and how we had wonderful times of God's Word being proclaimed to boys and girls. You know, you're never too young to hear God's Word and you're never too old to hear God's Word. We all need to hear from the Word of God and Biblical Proclamation was where we started this week at Vacation Bible School. It was a blessing to hear children singing out to the Lord and singing praises to Him. If you were here at the closing program on Wednesday night, we got to hear the boys and girls sing together. And it's such a blessing to be able to lift up the name of Jesus, to worship Him passionately. And we do that in more than just song. We do that every day, or we ought to do that every day as we live. Everything we do... As uh, the verse says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Revelation 4.11 tells us, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. You know, you were created to worship the Lord. And not just, that's not just a thing for preachers or pastors or just singers. It's for all of us. We've all been created as worshipers of Him. And then we looked a few weeks ago at sincere prayer. You know, Jesus said in John 15 and verse 5, Without me, ye can do nothing. He says that in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we are to make our request known unto God. In, in Philippians chapter 4, and he says, If we'll do that, that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. Now, if we're a church that is not a praying church, we are missing out. I think one of the most tremendous privileges that we have as children of a heavenly Father, that we can go directly to Him in prayer. You know, when you think about it in that context, it really seems silly to spend time worrying about stuff, doesn't it? When you have direct access to the creator of the universe, the God who has all power to do all things, sincere prayer. And, and then we talked about compassionate evangelism, that there is a world around us that needs the gospel. A little song that says, what the world needs is Jesus, just a glimpse of him but really more than just a glimpse, need a relationship with Him, to walk with Him, to know Him as their personal Savior. And the great responsibility that God has placed upon each and every one of us as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And we have that great privilege and responsibility to help bring people to the Lord. We know that that is impossible to be done without the work of Christ without the work of the Father, without the work of the Holy Spirit. But He lets us be part of that process, and that's such a tremendous privilege. And, of course, patient discipleship. If we're not willing to patiently love people and encourage people in their walk with the Lord, uh, we are going about it all wrong. In fact, last night I got a call 
from one of my former teenagers. Now, I'm starting to feel old. Some of you, I know, still look at me as young, but some of my former teenagers from my youth group are in their 30s now. And it, uh, I'm still in my 30s too, at least for another 11 months, and so we can enjoy that while it lasts. But uh, it was a blessing to be able to talk with one of my teens from 13, 14 years ago and to hear what God's doing in his life right now and to have an opportunity for continued ministry. And that's what some of what patient discipleship looks like because people don't change overnight, generally speaking. And we know people don't end up doing horrible things in a moment. It Often there's a gradual pattern of walking away and doing wrong. In the same way, sanctification can be very slow. But God does His work Amen. in us, and so we need to be patient and let Him do His work and be patient to help others and encourage them in that as well. This morning, I want us to look at the theme of genuine love. And I think the biggest challenge this summer for me is trying to present these messages as standalone messages because really every single one of them could be a long series uh, on their own. And Lord willing, next week we will finish out this series with selfless service. I spent some time over the last couple of weeks as I had a little bit of time away. And I was here this past week but didn't have to preach as we had Brother Clayton with us. And what a blessing that was. Um, just to look ahead and to spend some more time <clears throat> considering where the Lord has us going next. And I'm looking forward when this series is complete. I want us to go to what I think is a familiar passage to many people, but I think is something we can never get enough of. And I want to do a series on the subject of faith, specifically as is detailed for us in Hebrews chapter 11 and first part of 12. And then, Lord willing, that will lead us into next year, and our, I'll be announcing where we're going for that later, but I think that will lead very well into where I believe the Lord has us going as a church in our time, in our preaching time together in God's Word. And so I ask that you would continue to pray as we continue to seek the Lord together and walk with Him. This morning, I want you to take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 42, or Acts chapter 42, Acts chapter 2, wow. We're not adding to the scriptures this morning, sorry. Um, <clears throat> we'd be in much bigger trouble this morning if we were to do that. Sorry, you have to put up with me. But Acts chapter 2, when it comes to the theme of love or genuine love, there are so many places in scripture that we could go. And this may not seem to be the, the preeminent text on the topic of love, but the reason I believe that the Lord led me in my thinking to present to you on the topic of genuine love from Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, is I believe in these verses, while we have described for us the early church, the beginnings of the church there in Jerusalem, after the day of Pentecost and Peter's preached and 3,000 people have been saved, we have here the very beginnings of this church that continues on and we are descendants of these believers. We're spiritual descendants of these believers today. And what we see here in the infancy of this church is, I believe, a beautiful demonstration of genuine love on display in how it was being worked out 
in those early days, weeks, and months of the church. And so today, if you follow along with me, I want you to think with me about what it actually looks like to demonstrate love and to live out a loving spirit in the church. I remember the first time that I looked across the room and saw Shandy Jelsma. I was attracted to her beauty, her wonderful beauty. And the longer I spent time working with her at summer camp, the more I was attracted to her heart for the Lord. She had a tremendous heart for the Lord and for the young ladies that she was serving at the camp. And as we spent more and more time together, I was attracted to her personality. And we had a lot of fun together and lots of laughing together. And after many months of talking and developing our relationship, after much prayer and godly counsel, I told her that I loved her. Now, today in many relationships, people jump right to the big L word of love. Sometimes within just the first few moments or days or weeks. And we could argue whether there's something that called love at first sight or not. But I think what often happens for most people in their relationship is there's first something that attracts them to somebody else. But love is more than attraction. In the New Testament, we have several different words that are used to describe different aspects or types of love. One word in the Greek, eros, is used to refer to a physical attraction in love. And, and while we would think of that as being love, we would all, I think, agree that that would not be the deepest and most profound and enduring kind of love. Another word used that is translated as love for us in the Greek is philos, or it is this word like brotherly love. We think of Philadelphia, that idea of that warm affection or friendship, brotherly love. And this is a type of love that is often encouraged in the Word of God. And then what many of you know as you are Bible readers and studiers, you'll know and be familiar with the word agape which is love that is described as a Christ-like love or a self-sacrificing love. Eris love is part of our natural flesh. It's not hard for us to have those kinds of feelings. Philos love is a love that comes in a response to a relationship with somebody that you care about. Hey, if somebody cares about you, it's only natural to care for them in return. But agape love is a love that gives even when there is nothing received in return. It is a love that sacrifices for another even when nothing is gained in the process. This is the love that God gives to us. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, the Bible says, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. The scripture says we love him because he first loved us. Have you ever thought about all the people that God loves that have never loved him in return? What a great love that is to love someone else who does not love you in return. I'm thankful that my wife loves me and I love her. But the reason I took a while before telling her I loved her is I wanted to make sure that my love for her was not just an eros love, just a physical attraction, even though that was there. I wanted it to be more than just, well, we're good friends, that Philadelphia or philos love, that brotherly type of love, good friendship and affection one for another. I wanted to spend time and consider whether or not I had the type of love that would endure for her. Because you see, love is not just a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is an action. Love is a commitment that we make to somebody else. And the type of love that ought to be in a marriage or something that becomes a marriage is a love that says, I will love you till death do us part. I will love you no matter what comes in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, right? In good days and bad days. That is the kind of love we would expect to have in a marriage. And I would say the same thing. That is the same kind of love that we ought to be demonstrating one to another as part of the body of Christ in the church. Jesus said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Do you see? His love motivated Him to action. He made a sacrifice that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 15.13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, as we're getting to our text here in a minute in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, but I want you to see one other verse of Scripture, John 13, 35, and I think this really begins to zero in on what we want to talk about in love in the church body. John 13, 35, which says this, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. When people see us and the way that we relate one to another in the body of Christ, they ought to be able to tell that we are part of the body of Christ, that we are disciples of Jesus Christ because of how we relate one to another in regards to our love for each other and our love for the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Love for us as believers must be much more than a feeling. It must be a response to the love that God has demonstrated to us. Genuine love is something that we must live out on full display. Genuine love for others is a response to God's love for us. Now, in light of that, 
as an introduction, let's look now at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, because what we see here is new believers in Jesus Christ who are responding to the love of God in their lives. They are modeling their actions after the life of Christ and how he lived with them and around them and modeled for them. And I think in this passage, it is very instructive for us on how we ought to live today. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, And they, these are these new believers, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in prayers, and in fellowship, I'm sorry, in doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now again, the word love is not mentioned in our text but I believe in these verses that we just read, we see a church demonstrating love for God and love for one another. I think the first way we can see this love being demonstrated is by their growth together. Genuine love is demonstrated by growing together. I was thinking about that in relationship to a, a marriage. Two people that love one another ought to be growing together. They learn more about each other. They learn what each other likes and dislikes. They learn where those hot buttons are that they ought to be careful around, not to just press them just for fun. They learn how to be able to tell when the other person is tired or when they need some help with something. Two people that love one another grow together. And I think here in the example of this early church, we see this church growing together, first of all, in their knowledge of God's Word. It says they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued to grow in their knowledge of God's Word. How did they do this? Well, we know from already looking through the book of Acts and studying through that book for the last year and a half that they spent tremendous amounts of time together around the Word of God. They got together and heard it taught by various leaders in the church. They challenged one another person to person with the Word of God as well. The biblical proclamation, if you will, was central to this church and they grew together in their knowledge of God's Word. I believe genuine love is demonstrated by our church as we continue to encourage each other to grow in your walk with the Lord and to grow in your understanding of God's Word. You know, it would not be loving for my to me towards my children if I saw them struggling with, say, a math problem and say, well, just get over it, figure it out on your own. No, the loving response would be say, hey, let me help you 
work through this math problem and figure it out. In the same way, it would not be loving to see somebody in our church struggling spiritually, perhaps because of a lack of spiritual understanding, because of a lack of grounding in the Word of God, and just say, eh, figure it out yourself. When you've been in church as long as I have, then you'll just know how to do these things. No. We wouldn't live like that at all. We ought to look to those in need and be growing together in our knowledge of God's Word. But I think we see another way that this church really grew together as they continued in the Apostles' Doctrine. We also see a growth in their unity around the truth. Look back at our text here in Acts 2.42. We see how they continued together and notice what they did. It says in verse 44, all the believed were together. There's a unity here. It says later on in verse 45, and we'll get to this a little bit later in the message, how they were helping one another. But look at verse 46. They continued daily with one accord in the temple. What do you think they were doing in the temple? They were hearing the word of God preached and they were worshiping God Together, they were growing in their spiritual unity around the truth. We've spent quite a bit of time this year celebrating our church and what God has done here over the last five years since we began. But I still look back at all of that time and, and, and even today, and I think about new people that come and join us at this point moving forward. God brings a lot of different people from a lot of different places and He brings them into one place and makes a church out of it. That's a pretty amazing thing. When you look at the early church here in Jerusalem, God brought a lot of different people from a lot of different places to establish the church at Jerusalem. Remember, these were people speaking all kinds of different languages, people from different nationalities, different backgrounds, and yet they all came together and were part of this first church in Jerusalem. How could they have such unity? It wasn't unity over their place of birth. It wasn't unity over their economic situation. We see here in just a moment there were some who had to give and others who needed to have given to them. There wasn't unity around some of the things that this world tries to unify around. No, the unity was found in Christ. We have the same Lord. I love what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in, in Ephesians chapter 3 when he says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father above all who is above all and in you all. We have the truth, and the truth sets us free, but the truth of Jesus Christ is what unifies us together. So how does that look practically in a church? Well, they were of one accord in the temple. They were, of, they were together fellowshipping. It says later on in verse 46, they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. There was a, a unity to these people. How did that take place practically? One of the ways is because they were each encouraging one another to grow together in their knowledge of God's Word, and in their unity around the truth. Here's how I think that looks practically in our church. That looks like me looking around and saying, hey, who's on the edge? Hey, who, who, who needs some help and encouragement? And how can I help teach them the truth? 
how can I help remind them of what is important? You know, I've talked to people who say, well, you know, I don't know, Pastor, I, my, my clothes aren't right. I, I need to go, I'm going to have to go shopping and do all these things because I don't have the right things to put on. And I say, no, no, no. That's not the pre- primary uh, priority here. Let's, let, let's figure out what really matters and focus on the truth. And I've talked to other people say, well, you know, my, my situation, I don't live in the same house as, as somebody else, or I don't even have a house. And we say, listen, that's okay, and we want to help you where you're at, but hey, come and let's worship the Lord together. Well, I have some health problems or my education is different or I don't know as much as somebody else knows or my situation's not the same as everybody else's. And those are all the things the world tries to use to divide us and to separate us and to get us looking different directions. But you know, if we're all looking to Christ, He unifies us. The old invitation song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I'm not talking about minimizing truth. No, no, no. When you lift up the name of Jesus, that's emphasizing the truth. And the truth is what sets you free. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. I think we demonstrate genuine love as we grow together. Here's one of the things I've learned about growing. Not everybody's growing at the same pace. few of us are taller and we can see on top of the shelf that you can't see on top of I've also learned some of us taller ones tend to whack our head on stuff a lot more too well it's not always a benefit but you know we're all at different stages and paces of growth and that's okay In fact, I think that's healthy and that's the way it should be. But we have to be looking to Jesus and demonstrating our love for Him and for our brothers and sisters in Christ and for those who are not yet our brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage each person to grow together in their walk with Him. See, if I come in and say, well, I have my agenda, I think I know how it's supposed to be, we get off track. Say, well, you're the pastor, you get to set the agenda. No, if we're honest, it's the Lord that sets the agenda. A lot of times, and I'll tell you, it's a struggle because I realize I'm in a position where, humanly speaking, I could set the agenda. I could, right? He's like, well, he's the pastor. And I will tell you up here, Before the Lord, as honest as I know how to be, I'm sure there have been times I have set that agenda. And I'm sorry for that. But that's not my heart. That's not my desire. It's my desire to seek the Lord and to follow Him. And there will be times in your heart and in your life, you'll struggle with feeling like, well, I want to set that agenda. 
And that's where it requires humility demonstrated in our love to put Christ first and say, Lord, guide and lead us and draw us together for your purpose to accomplish your word. Genuine love is demonstrated by growing together. We can clearly see in this passage as well that genuine love is demonstrated by fellowshipping together. My pastor growing up, Rose and I shared the same pastor growing up, he used to always say about fellowship, it's two fellows in the same ship. Because two fellows in the same ship, if they're not rowing in the same direction, they're not going to get very far. And if they don't look out for one another, they're probably going to have a tough struggle to get across. If there's mutiny in the ship, it's not fellowship. But genuine love is demonstrated by fellowshipping together. I remember when I was growing up in my mind, I kind of had this idea that fellowship basically involved like um, crockpots and eating together after church. That was sort of... That was the biblical definition of fellowship. And I remember when I was in college, I was speaking to a group of guys and I had to prepare a series of messages on something that I was going to preach for a number of weeks. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to do a study on the topic of biblical fellowship. And so I studied that term throughout scripture and studied what that looks like in the word of God. And there's not time to share all of that with you. I had a whole series just on fellowship, but can I just say simply this morning, it's a lot more than just a crock pot and people eating after church. But it, fellowship is much more than that. Let's talk a little bit about what that looks like. I think first of all, fellowshipping is something we do as we bear one another's burdens. As we bear one another's burdens. Notice, back in our text, it says in verse 44, and all that believed were together. There's that fellowship. You've got to be together. They had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now the comment has been made before, and it's still true. It's not talking about communism. It wasn't, well, everybody just sold their stuff and there was a central pot that everybody lived out of. No, they looked for specific needs and they worked to meet those needs as they could be helped, as every man had need. But what we do see here is their willingness to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. I would say it this way. Fellowship looks like taking time to find out what's going on with your brother or sister in Christ. It takes time to fellowship. You can run really hard and do your own thing and come in and leave quick and you know be the last one to church and the first one to leave and you can be the person that never calls anybody during the week and doesn't ever have any connection with anybody. Well, I came, I did church, I went home. But you have missed out on fellowship. It means looking for opportunities to encourage somebody else in the body. Here's one of the things I found about fellowship. Sometimes you are in a better place to be able to bear somebody else's burden. Sometimes you have a burden that needs to be borne. But it's one of the wonderful things in relationships. If you will work really hard and focus on loving others and bearing their burdens, you'll be amazed when you have your own, how people will come around you and want to help you bear your burdens. We all are needy people. And it's easy to walk around, well, I just have a lot more needs than everybody else. 
Well, you have more needs than the people that you know have needs. Even this week, I've talked to one man who told me he was just diagnosed with cancer this week, and he goes back this next week to find out how bad it is and where it's going. That's a major need. But if you passed him at the grocery store, you would have no idea. But if you asked him, you would find out. But now we can help bear his burden. I said, I want to keep praying for you. I knew he'd had some skin cancer issues, and so I told him that yesterday. I saw him yesterday. I said, I've been praying for your skin cancer issues. Are those things clearing up? And he said, yes, but I got a much harder diagnosis this week. That's hard. And as a church, I want to help bear his burden. And as an individual, I want to help bear his burden because I'm his brother in Christ. Talked to somebody yesterday who called me and said, yeah, every, I'm doing great, just hanging out and having a good time. And then a few questions later, all of a sudden, they're crying and tell me all the horrible things going on. I'm like, why? Because people put on a good front. We're all doing fine. I look out this morning, everybody's fine. But inside you go, ah, we're not okay. We have this, we have that, we have the other thing. Genuine love is demonstrated by fellowshipping together. Fellowship very simply looks like bearing one another's burdens, but it also looks like meeting one another's needs, right? Bearing burdens and meeting needs. The reason I divided these two ideas, I think we can find out that something's going on and we can pray about it and we can take it to the Lord and we can try to be an encouragement to them any way we can. But meeting needs is really then putting even more action behind it to say, there's something I can actually do. Think of this in relation to the story that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan, about the man who was beaten up and on the side of the road and left for dead. And he was passed by by both a priest and a Levite. But then along came the Samaritan. And what did he do? He didn't just stop and pray for him. Even though prayer does work and that would have been a good thing to do, he then put even action to those things. He took the man, he dressed his wounds, he put him on the back of his donkey, and he took him to a place where they could take care of him, and he paid for the man's needs to be cared for. That's meeting somebody else's needs. That's what the church was doing in Acts chapter 2 as well. And I believe that's what our church ought to be doing today as well. True fellowship cannot take place if someone is unable to be a part due to physical or financial needs. That's one of the things I've seen. When somebody's sick at home, we're not able to fellowship with them the same way that we can when we get to be around them. I had a call yesterday from Sandra Kenny. Ed's home sick today. Well, that changes our ability to fellowship with Brother Ed. We love Brother Ed. So what are we going to do? Well, I already called him. And I hope you'll call him too. Send him a note. Encourage him. Maybe somebody says, I'm going to make a bowl of soup and take it to them. Whatever it is, it's learning not just to bear their burdens, but then to meet their needs. I was running through my house uh, about a year ago, and I caught my baby toe on the corner of a chair. And it felt like my baby toe was being separated from the rest of my toes. It was black and blue for quite a while. You know, you don't think about your baby toe until you catch it on the corner of a chair. Sometimes we don't think about the importance of fellowship until we don't have it. 
My baby toe likes to fellowship with those other four toes that I have. Amen. They get along really well for most of the time. Don't have too many problems with them. But when there's a break in that fellowship, we feel it, don't we? We feel it. And so what do you do? Maybe you've done this before. If it's hurt bad, you might tape that hurt toe to the toe next to it to help strengthen it. Do that with your fingers sometimes. Tape the hurt finger to the finger next to it. Why? To give strength. That's fellowship. That's bearing one another's burdens. That's gaining strength from somebody else. I, the rest of my body stopped what it was doing and ministered to that baby toe. It's a tiny part. And the entire rest of my body stopped and ministered to that one part. That's fellowship. That's fellowship. I think we can see genuine love demonstrated by fellowshipping together. But notice, I want to go a little bit deeper on this. So much so, I made it its own point. I think genuine love is demonstrated by eating together. I separated those two points because sometimes in our mind, fellowship equals eating. And I would say eating is a component of fellowship. It helps to aid in fellowship. But there's some really interesting things in Acts 2, 42 to 47 about eating together. Say, wow, it's only 11 o'clock, Pastor. We have an hour till lunch. And he's already talking about eating. You're really shooting yourself in the foot, just not the baby toe. That one's already gone. I get the rest of the foot, right? But genuine love's demonstrated by eating together how well notice in our text they ate together in each other's homes this is one of these things i found because i have a home it's kind of challenging sometimes to have people over to your home you got to clean and you got to cook and people see how you really live they see you when your shoes come off they see that all your toes, some are missing, you know, sometimes. They, they start to know some things about you that they might not know if they weren't at your home. Jesus Christ even set this example for us. If you look at Mark chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, the Bible says it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, Many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him at meat with publicans and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he saith to them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you remember the story of Jesus when he went and ate at Mary and Martha's house? They served him. They cared for him. See, when we eat in each other's homes, it's an opportunity for us to be able to serve one another and to demonstrate genuine love one for another. It builds relationship. It builds unity. And it builds strength in the body. So that when that baby toe part of the body does get hurt, it knows it can trust in the rest of the body and have people that they can rely on in their time of need. Genuine love, I believe, is demonstrated by eating together. You know, and I would encourage you, we have the benefit of many restaurants around here too, if you can afford it. You know, uh, maybe you can do that as well. 
Maybe you're eating together and somebody's home says, well, I'll bring my little plate of food and you bring your little plate of food and together we'll eat together. I'm not asking you to put on a, a giant banquet every time you have somebody over, even though some of you can and want to do that, and that's a blessing. I'm just saying we ought to be together and partaking of meals together is a great time to do it. Now, I'm going to tell on myself and maybe I'm going to regret telling this story. I don't know. But Shandy knows that before I met her, there were a few other girls in my life that I, had, that I had met. But the way I viewed it in college, if I had to go eat, I might as well eat with a young lady. I lived in a dorm full of smelly college guys, and I just found it a lot more interesting to sit with a, with a young lady and to talk to her and eat lunch with her. And in college, all the meals were covered in your meal plan anyway. <laughs> So it wasn't really a date. I didn't have to buy her lunch. I just got to sit with somebody that was more interesting to talk to and smelled better than the people that I lived with. And so I kind of was known as the person that I was always going to have some young lady at lunch with me on campus. Now, why do I tell that story? Well, because eating is one of those things you have to do either way. So if you get the benefit of getting to eat with somebody else and encourage them and be encouraged by them in the process, it's a wonderful way. It's something you're going to spend time doing anyway. And if you can do it in a way that allows you to fellowship with other believers, that's a blessing. Now, since then, I've only ever sat down with my wife for lunch. I'm still not eating lunch with lots of other women. That's just not something that I do. And I wasn't chasing them all around and being crazy with them. I was just building relationships and friendships. Eating in each other's homes is a way to demonstrate love, but I think also as they ate, notice they ate with joy and a focus on unity. Now, <laughs> as soon as I mentioned eating this morning, a lot of people, oh man, we're excited. We like to eat. We like to eat, and so did they. It says they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart right there in 46. Man, I can tell you, when I get to eat some of those tacos or some of those enchiladas or some of that barbecue or when I get to eat, we got to go out for a traditional Colombian meal a couple weeks ago and we got to go out and eat all kinds of different food. There is a lot of joy and gladness in my heart. And you know, sometimes when your heart's glad over good food, it helps you to be able to actually enjoy the company you're with too. Eating with joy and a focus on unity. You know, I don't want to be too silly about this because the reality of it is this. There's coming a day that the Lord is preparing a great meal for all of us to enjoy together with Him. So I'm not being facetious about this point. In fact, I think the church eating together now is a little bit of a foreshadowing of the great marriage supper of the Lamb that's coming someday for us in heaven. Let me read to you from Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9. The Bible says, Let us be glad 
and rejoice. There's the gladness and singleness of heart. And give honor to him. The focus is on Jesus. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. That's us, the church. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. That's the work of the Spirit in you and me to sanctify us and make us righteous before him. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith to me, These are the true sayings of God. Now I understand what comes in your crock pot is good, but it probably won't compare to what we're going to have at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But you know, it's a way for us as believers right now to demonstrate genuine love one for another. For many, mealtimes have been lost due to overscheduled lives. And that's not just true in the church family, that's true in the immediate family. For many, families, school, work schedules, extracurricular activities can make it difficult to even find time to eat together. And some even, sadly, go days or even weeks without sitting down as a family to share a meal. This is very common in our culture today. However, family meals are important and I think should be considered part of our daily requirements. This is secular research now. Researchers have found that families who share meals together on a regular basis, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, they reap many benefits. Benefits such as this. Family meals are more nutritious. You'll be healthier if you eat together with other people. Amen. A Harvard study found that families who eat together are twice as likely to eat their five servings of fruits and vegetables as families who don't eat together. See, one of those benefits of eating together is there's accountability. And I think that's true in the church. Kids who eat family meals tend to eat a wider variety of foods and become less picky eaters. Wouldn't that be great if that translated into church relationships? And I think it does. I have found when you get to know people well, when you sit in their home or they sit in your home and you spend time with them, you, you're able to put up with their weirdness and idiosyncrasies a lot better. And you realize those things really aren't that big of a deal because I love them. It's my family. Family meals provide an opportunity for family members to come together, strengthen ties, and build better relationships. They build a sense of belonging, which leads to better self-esteem. This is secular researchers writing these things. Family meals offer parents a chance to be role models. You want to disciple somebody else and encourage them in their walk with the Lord? Eat with them. Spend time with them. They set an example of healthy eating and polite table manners. Maybe I shouldn't read this last part. Oh, I will. Family meals help prevent obesity. Now think about that in the spiritual context. Because sadly in many churches today, there are many spiritually obese people. They spend all their time feeding themselves and never spend any time serving anybody else. If we would to spend our time less, what can I get just for me? And boy, I got to get this because I have to give it to somebody else. It might keep us much more spiritually lean and hungry and dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. 
Research shows that people tend to eat less during family meals because they eat more slowly and talk more. Research shows that kids who eat family meals have a lower chance of engaging in high-risk behaviors such as substance abuse and violence and fewer psychological problems. Isn't that interesting? Even the world understands the benefits of eating together. And when we relate it to spiritual things, it's not like we're just making it up. It's right here in the Bible. This is what they were doing. Let me give you my last point. We're done. Genuine love is also demonstrated by praying together. Praying together. We see it here in the passage. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the word of God. And in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. If you're keeping track of your notes this morning, those were our four points. Other points could be made about love. I understand that. And that wasn't my intent this morning to try to give you an entire treatise on love, but rather to help us to see what love looks like demonstrated in a church body. They continued in prayers. In prayers. Genuine love is demonstrated by praying together. What do we pray about? Well, we pray for the salvation of the lost. We must pray for the spiritual growth of the body. And we must pray for the unity of the Spirit. They continued in prayer. And as they did these things together, verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, when the body is healthy, it begins to reproduce. When the body's not healthy, it can't reproduce. It can't reproduce. It can attract people to it, but attraction is not love. We can make it look really good from the outside. And everybody comes in and goes, oh, that was cool. But if there's not a deep relationship with God grounded upon the Word of God and encouraged and maintained by the Spirit of God, then we will never truly experience the love of God that also helps us and encourages others as well. I want to read to you one final passage of Scripture, probably is the preeminent passage on love in the whole Word of God. And I want you to think about it with me as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, that's a pretty good speaker. But I have not charity. I'm become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Why is love so important? Why is this agape love, this self-sacrificing as it's translated for us here, charity, why is this so important? Because without it, all of our speaking is just noise. Isn't it amazing how grandma or grandpa with just a few words can make a huge difference in somebody's life and somebody who can talk till they're blue in the face doesn't do anything at all. Why? Because they know grandma and grandpa love them. I remember having the opportunity to sit under the ministry of pastors who have pastored for many, many years in the same place. I almost feel jealous because they can say like one word in a sermon and they're oh, that's so good. Why? Because they know that they love them. 
They have a relationship. Verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. This next one's a good one. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. All those wonderful things by the standards of this world, but if I don't truly have a self-sacrificing love, some say, well, isn't it self-sacrificing love if you're selling all your goods to feed the poor? Not if you're doing it for yourself. Not if you're giving to the poor so you can get your name in lights. Wow, look at that great gift. What a big check they wrote. Wow, what did they do? Oh, that was amazing. They're such a great person. Then you have your reward. The Bible tells us we ought to give and we ought to just do it simply and quietly so that God's work goes forward. It's not for us, it's for others. When I'm giving to get, then I'm not really giving. So what is love? Well, charity suffereth long. I like the way that's written. Because you think of charity and suffering right next to each other. and Why are these two words next to each other? Because it's willing to suffer long and is kind. Charity envieth not. I noticed they're driving a new car today. Boy, I sure wish I could. No, charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Scripture says, let another man praise thee and not thine own lips. You don't need to toot your own horn. It vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. That's a tough one. If you find yourself mad and flying off the handle all the time, you don't have love like you should. Thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. We should not rejoice in the calamity of others and the wickedness around us. No, we should rejoice in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. But, and I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I also am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Genuine love 
is something we can't just feel in our heart. No. Feelings come and go. You may have warm feelings of love and emotion in your heart. It may make you just feel great when you wake up. Or you may not. No, genuine love is something we have to live out on full display. It's a choice to minister to those around us. Genuine love for others can only come as a response to God's love for us. When you go back to the time period surrounding Acts chapter 2, you had a whole bunch of people from all over the world that were coming together for this important feast in the Jewish calendar. They were coming, some I'm sure, based on their belief that this was what they ought to do. Others were coming because of tradition. This is what we've always done. Still others were coming because someone else made them come, right? Someone had to drive the wagon. Somebody had to come with them. And all of these people gathered in Jerusalem for this feast. They had lots of things that were uncommon about them. They, they were not similar people in many ways. They did have the unifying piece of this feast that brought them together. But what happened on that day of Pentecost, when the gospel was preached and they realized it wasn't through their works that saved them, it wasn't through their tradition that they could have eternal life. Their hope was not in overthrowing the Roman government. No, their hope was finding salvation for their sin. When they realized that all those Old Testament prophets and all the work of Jesus Christ had been done for one thing, and that was to bring them salvation from their sin and when they trusted in that put their faith in that their love instead of being on tradition instead of just being on well for a family member that brought them instead of just being well I don't really have much love at all no now all of a sudden they had love for Christ because he saved them my friend if you've gotten over the fact that you've been saved it's going to be really hard for you to love others as you should love them. If you've gotten over the fact of what Christ has done for you, it's going to be hard for you to love others as you ought to love. But instead, when we re realize that our love for others is just a response to what Christ has done for us, we can then live in genuine love as we grow together, as we fellowship together, as we eat together, and as we pray together. But if you're here this morning and you're struggling with your love, you say, Pastor, I hear what you're saying. It makes sense. But if I'm honest, that's not how I feel. I'm struggling. I'm discouraged. I'm hurting. I would first of all invite you to come back to the cross. Come back to the truth of your salvation and be reminded of what Christ did for you. The Bible says that he shed his blood for us. By his stripes we are healed. He suffered and bled and died so that we could have eternal forgiveness and salvation. You're not here because you're just a really good person or you've done it all on your own. No, you're here by the grace of God. And if you've never trusted in that grace, if you've never received that and his work for you to forgive you of your sins, then you don't truly know what it is to experience the love of Christ in your life. And if you have trusted him, then keep going back to that time. Keep going back to that truth of what Christ has done for you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful place.
face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Oh Lord, increase our love for You. Lord, increase our love for one another. Lord, help us to lay aside ourselves and our selfishness and our own priorities and purposes and understand that we exist, we are here for You and because of You. And everything we ought to do is ought to be focused towards You. Lord, if there's somebody here today that's never trusted You as their Savior, I pray that today they would trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, for those who have trust in You, maybe they needed to be reminded today of Your love for them. Lord, there's a lot of burdens represented here this morning. But Lord, You are the great burden bearer. You are the great physician. Lord, I pray that we would bring those burdens to You and we would step aside of ourselves for a moment and look to You and then look around us to others that we can encourage and help and love with a genuine love as You would have us to. Lord, we ask that You would continue to build Your church here, that You would save souls, that people would follow You in obedience. Lord, encourage those who are struggling today. It's in Jesus' name I pray.